You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. You know, uh, isn't, isn't life all about relationships? Really, if you think about it, um, you have a relationship at some level with everybody you've ever met, all right? So you think about your neighbor, you've got s- some sort of relationship, the people that you work with, the people at church, your family, of course, your husband or wife. And um, isn't it good when your relationships are good? It really just is. And that's, I think we, we, we're all working on that, aren't we? We're, we're trying to, um, we want things to be right. And I felt like during worship this morning that God was saying to us, actually as individuals, more so than even corporate, but as individuals, I, I feel like God wants to tell you we're good. We're good. You and I are good. And um, it's so important to have, to cultivate that. Re- the most important relationship is our relationship with the Lord, right? And it's so important to cultivate that, and to make sure that we're on good terms with him. And I'm, I just really feel like that he's saying we're good. To, we're good this morning. And, and he also wanted to say, this personally one-on-one this is you know the bible says hear what the spirit's saying to the churches i believe that the spirit's saying this he's saying to you individually i love you i love you isn't that great when somebody says i love you sometimes it's a little awkward isn't it sometimes tom saxby will come up to me and say i love you brother and i'm going like uh what do i do with this but um it's really it's really good to hear i love you and i believe that god wants to say that this morning he wants to say I love you individually, amen? So in terms of relationship, when it comes to God, um, understand one thing, he's God, right? The Bible says that if we saw God, we would just fall down and die. Um, and he's that powerful, that magnificent. And so it's important to approach that relationship the right way. We talk about, what we're, we're talking the last month or so about worship. We enter his gates with thanksgiving in his, his courts with praise. So this is the, the entrance, the way to that relationship that we have with God. And I think about worship. When I think about worship, I don't know about you, but I think about music. Wouldn't the world, wouldn't the world be a lot different if it didn't, we didn't have music? Think about the, the impact that it has. You know, I, uh, I have XM radio and I have one of the stations programmed to the 70s. And, uh, and you can play something on there and, and it brings you right back to seventh grade. And it's that, it's that powerful. Remember the Little River Band or Sticks or whatever your, song, whatever your music choice was. But it's that powerful. It brings you to a place that um, you can almost relive it and you feel those same, same moments, right? So... Um, the, the worship is just, it, Gabe, Gabe and Christian just did a, Kristen did an awesome job last week with us. I hope if you weren't there, you could still watch it. And uh, we need to be worshipers. And we're going to get into that in just a minute. Um, and I've got some quotes on worship, but I want to say there's, I like quotes. Who likes quotes? Anybody? So there's a f- few quotes just to warm us up into this. A couple of them are Chuck Norris quotes. Anybody like Chuck Norris Norris quotes? Chuck Norris can dribble a bowling ball. How about this one? 
Chuck Norris can cook minute rice in 30 seconds. How about, and the, the flu gets a Chuck Norris shot every year. Any Yoga Bear, Yogi Berra fans? A couple old timers. Remember Yogi's quotes? He says, the future ain't what it used to be. Remember, he said, pair up in threes. He, there was, he was known for his quotes. Um, and then there's the most interest. my favorite quote of all time, I think, the most interesting man in the world. And he says, I don't always question myself, but when I do, I like my answer. So, but we do have some, some serious quotes on, on um, worship. So the first one I have, and I think they've, they're going to put them up. The first one up is um, the most valuable thing the Psalms do for me is to express the same delight in God which made David dance. That's C.S. Lewis. Isn't that good? How about this? Uh, this is A.W. Tozier. Without worship, we go about miserable. And again, it goes back to the music thing. You know, you go to a theme park, you go to Six Flags or Disney or something, and there's music playing the whole day. There's a purpose for that. And it makes you feel good and spend more money, right? <laughs> this one, C.S. Lewis. The most valuable thing the Psalms do for me is to express the same delight in God which made David dance. I said that one already, didn't I? Lamar Boschman, when I worship, I would rather my, my heart be without words than my words be without heart. I'm not reading off notes today. I've, got, I've changed it to be more technical, so I'm going to probably fumble a little bit here. Last one, I like this one a lot. Actually, it's not the last one. Francis Chan said, isn't it a comfort to worship a God we cannot exaggerate? And then I've got one from Elaine Kesner. She's not here today. She's shopping in Syracuse. So if you see Elaine, give her a hard time about that. Worship is remembering who God is, remembering what he has done, and responding to him with all the love, devotion, and honor that he is so worthy of. Amen. That's worship. We're going to go at worship a little different direction today. We're going to talk about a house that we're going to build for him. We'll start off with Isaiah 66, 1. It says, Thus saith the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? And where is the place of my rest? Father, we thank you this morning that you want to speak to us expressly. You want to speak to the congregation, to, to us as individuals, Lord God. You want to pour in some truth to, to us, Lord God, to change our lives so that we can see things better than we've seen them. Lord, so that we know the truth and that the truth would set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. So God says here, where is the house that you will build for me? Might this be a rhetorical question? You know what a rhetorical question is? When you ask a question and you're really not asking it to get an answer, but to make a point, right? So there's some basic ones that you and I have heard before and don't answer this, but one of them is, what kind of a fool do you think I am? Sherry, don't answer that. How about this? Parents, what part of no don't you understand? That's not something you're supposed to answer, right? And this one, too. This one's for you, Mike McGee. You ready? What were you thinking when you did that thing in Saudi Arabia? 
You know what I'm talking about. Somebody, he knows what I'm talking about. You may want to ask him after about that. <laughs> He'll enjoy telling you that story. That's probably one of my favorite stories of all time, but he tells it really good. We used to go to the jail together, and he, was, he would share that with the guys, and the guys just loved, loved his, the story. So in the Bible, there are rhetorical questions galore. There's all kinds of questions that God uses and Jesus uses, and he says, if God be for us, who can be against us? That's not meant to be answered, right? It's just meant to make a statement. And also, I love the one to Job. He says, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? That's after Job started. He went through the long ordeal, and he started just complaining a little bit. And, and God says, where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the, of the world? That's, those are rhetorical questions. This question, where is the house that you will build for me? This is not a rhetorical question, I don't think. I believe it's to be answered and to be acted upon. God says, I have a throne. I have stool. But I don't have any place to live. In a sense, God is homeless. I mean, in a sense, right? Understand what I'm saying. As far as you and I are concerned, God is homeless. And we've got to do something about it. You ever go by homeless areas, some of you folks have been to Nysum. You go, what do you think of when you go to a place that's where there's homeless people? What do you think of? You think of like people that aren't comfortable, people that aren't in, at, at rest, you know? Some, some places you've seen that, just a chair, and a chair out front or something like that. And it's just not enough, right? Uh, it's, God needs a dwelling place. And so, David picks up on this in 1 Chronicles 28 and 29. He picks up on this. He realizes it, and it becomes his mission for the rest of his life. This is what David grows into after all the things that he's been through with war and, and being king and being chased earlier when he was younger. Everything culminated with David saying, I've got to do something about this. I've got to build a house for God. I've got to build a dwelling place. Yet the problem was, of course, he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it because he had blood on his hands. So he had to rely on his son. He had to rely on his Solomon to do it. But David did all the prep work. He went to the architect, got the plans made up. He went to Home Depot and got, or Lowe's, sorry, Casey, Casey works at Lowe's. He went to Lowe's and got all the materials for the inside and out. He went to the local union and got the labor force. So all of this, David paid for. It was so important to him that that's what he spent his money on, right? Proverbs 23, 23 says, buy the truth and sell it not. It costs something to, to um to do what you're convicted to do for the Lord. And that's what David did. He spent, he prepared, he staged a place for God to dwell. And read with me in 1 Chronicles 28, verses 9 and 10. And this is where, where God is charging his son Solomon. He says, as for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. I think it's coming. Did I give you the right scripture? 
serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. And the title of my message this morning is Be Strong and Do It. And that's what he ends with. And he says it again in verse 20 in the same chapter. He says, And David said to his son Solomon, Be strong and of good courage, and do it. Do not fear, nor be dismayed, for the Lord God, my God, will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. Be strong and do it, he says to Solomon. And usually, not usually, when God speaks, when you read your Bible and God's, God's, you're reading those words, God's giving you information, but he's doing more than that. He's not just giving information, he's imparting, right? And so it's a greater thing. It's not just go do this, but I'm giving you strength to go do this. Again, when you read your Bibles in the morning, it's more than just taking in information. God's imparting. He's changing your fabric. He's changing who you are. He's giving you strength and energy and what you need to get through what the day or whatever you're embarking on. So be strong and do it. That's the word of the Lord that David gives to his son Solomon. Now, we get into the New Testament, and this thing hasn't changed. There's still a problem. As a matter of fact, Jesus expresses it in Matthew 8.20. He says, the son of man, remember it starts out, the foxes have holes, and what's the rest of it? And, and bears have dens or whatever. But the son of man has no place to lay his head. There's that resting, the, the laying your head, isn't it? Who's got, the, who's got the best bed in the world at home? Hands up. Only like five of you, the rest of you don't like your beds. Any of you travel? I travel a lot. I go, I go over the, and I stay in hotels and rarely do I find a, a comfortable bed, but a, a place of comfort. Jesus is talking about that. He's talking about a place to lay my head. In the Old Testament, it was a dwelling place. And Jesus is expressing it's the same dilemma. It's the same issue brought into the New Testament. But things change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. This is where we're going with this, this today. John chapter 4, verse 20 through 23. Let's read this together. Our fathers worshipped. Yes, thank you. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. But think about this. Remember, this is coming from the woman at the well, right? The woman who has five husbands, and I'm not sure how she's living. It's kind of an indication maybe. But this woman understands something theologically. She gets into it doctrinally with Jesus. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, she said, and you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. 
We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This is a very unexpected passage to bring forth this major theological shift from Old Testament. He's dealing with this woman about getting a drink of water. And it trans transitions into this whole theological turning point from Old Testament to New Testament. It's bring and he's bringing this to the Samaritan woman, this woman who is totally kind of outside of the, of the boundaries of the Jews. But this is where he hits it. This is where he makes the declaration. He says the hour is coming. He uses this term hour. Hour in, in is comes back around in John 12, 23, 16, 32, and 17, 1. And the hour is the hour of his death and his resurrection. He talk, Jesus talks about the day is coming. Or this is the acceptable year. In this case, he's talking about the hour. The very hour of the crucifixion. And he says the hour is coming when you won't worship on a mountain or in Jerusalem. It's a shift no longer on a mount or in, no longer a place. It's not a place anymore. He's shifting this to worshipers, to people, to people. This is transformative. Old Testament, it's about a building. It's about a place, a mountain, Jerusalem. New Testament, it's about worshipers, right? Worship in spirit and in truth. You ever hear the thing about right brain people versus left brain people? A right brain person is generally the one who's more inclined to be creative. They're artsy, you know, that sort of thing. A left brain person is more inclined to be analytical. We, a lot of times when I do training where I work, Gabe and I work at the same place, most of the people at the power authority, a lot of the people at power authority are more left brain. We hire engineers. That's what we do. And so um, they think in terms of left brain, analytical. This is the way it's going to be. And, um, but there's a place for worshiping in spirit, which is right brain, and in truth, which I see as left brain. The spirit, we, we see things, activities like the woman coming in and throwing perfume all over Jesus and taking her hair. And that's, a, that's a right brain thing, isn't it? Wouldn't you think that's, that's what that is? And um, we've had in times past where we've had worship time where people come in and paint. Remember that? Uh, Marion Bradish would come and do a painting during worship. That's creative. That's right brain kind of worship. And even, uh, I walked by the Cardinal's house this morning. Your lawn looks awesome, by the way. Everything's really neat. You got the, they got mulched out and everything's, the, the lines are all straight, the lawnmower, very good. Who, which one of you is responsible for that? That's Justin, okay. So that's kind of, that's a good picture, a good illustration of how we ought to live our lives in a way that is worshipful. Is that a word, worshipful? I don't know. Uh, everything we do, the Bible says, what's, whatsoever things you do, do it as unto the Lord and not unto the men. Everything we do, it should be 
like an act of worship, whether it's gardening, and I know all about that too. I've been wrapped up to that in that. My, my wife is, um, she's an expert at gardening. She listens to the garden lady. So now I'm out with a shovel. We got um, a low, whole load of topsoil the other day, and we're, we're just doing it. We're trying to get everything up really nice around the house to try to match the cardinals. I don't know if we're ever going to get there. But we're trying. We're spending the money. Um, the more they go, the more we have to go. So <laughs> we'll do. I guess we'll just keep doing it. So whatever you do, whatever you do as a, as a Christian, it's all for the glory of God, right? Who prepares PowerPoints for their jobs or drives a fork truck or whatever you do, however, you, how you keep your lawn, how you, um, how you dress, everything can be an act of worship, right? Um, and that's kind of a right brain kind of function. Worshiping in truth is, a, is more kind of a left brain function. It's biblical, it's structural. Gabe talked last week about his comfort zone in worship. Gabe, you're probably a left left brain guy. Maybe I don't know. You can go back and forth. I can go back and forth too, I guess. But that place of reverence, the place of, um, you know, everything's doctrinally. It's structured. That's a that's a positive thing too. We need both. We need worship in spirit and truth. And Jesus, even when he was, even when Jesus was with the disciples at the very end, just before the uh, crucifixion, it says he met with the disciples and he sang a hymn with them, a hymn. And this was probably not the right time to be jumping up and down, but it was a, probably a solemn moment and he sang a hymn with them. And I bet you Peter was sitting there saying, Jesus, you probably think this song is about you, don't you, don't you? And it was, it was. Some of you laugh, you know what that song is. It's a Carly Simon song. So now God seeks worshipers. And this is the shift, all right? Let's go to Acts chapter seven, verses 46 through 49. And this is Stephen's sermon, the conclusion of a sermon. Stephen gets up. And he starts to preach. And they see his face as the face of an angel. And he's preaching. Stephen's a deacon, right? He's not even an elder. He's not a pastor, a teacher. But he's speaking with power. And he ends up and he says this. David, he's talking about, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling place, a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. This is Stephen saying, however, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? No longer does God dwell in temples made And the current religious world is stuck here. They view churches 
as houses of worship, something sacred, something that's more holy than maybe an other building. And you know, just like I, in two hours from now, this place is empty. It's wood hay, and, wood, hay, and stubble. Maybe a little bit of steel here too. This is the whole religious system now is people trying to reach God instead of letting him reach them. Versus worshipers. Not a place, not a hill, not Jerusalem, not a building, but the church coming together. Not coming together for church, but the church coming together. People are his dwelling place. People are where God is going to build this house. He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. He dwells in you and in me. If we let him build in our lives. If we let him build. There was a piece of property downtown in Messina, right on the Grass River. It was for sale for a couple of years for just under $10,000. And it stayed for sale for a long time. Because nobody wanted to buy a piece of property that you couldn't build on. You weren't allowed to build on it. So it sat there, it sat there, it sat there for right on the Grass River, but you weren't allowed to build on it. It was only worth $10,000, and they still had a hard time getting it. Property that you can build on that's on a river. Anybody see Dory's post? Dory put a post up the other day about on her on back deck on the river. Property that you can build on can get a lot more money. And so the value of you and I in our lives, allowing God to build. A lot of people are walking around, God's not building in my life. I'm not part of this. I'm saying that God wants to be able to build a dwelling place in your life and in my life. And there's some New Testament support, supporting scriptures for this that really drive this home. It makes the point, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Ephesians 2.22 says, In whom you also are built, are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So we're filled as individual, but more so even collectively, right? We're being built together. It's a collective thing. It's individual, but it's also collective, right? <clears throat> Just like just Greg said this morning, Greg says, when you get a friend come over to help, you get way more done than you would with two plus two. It's, it's one of those things, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, right? You know, you've heard that before. When we come together, one chases a thousand, two, ten thousand. How can that be? You would think it'd be two thousand, but it's cumulative, cumulative. It's, it's uh, collective. There's, there's more to this even than just you and God. It's us and God together. He's building together for a dwelling place. First, um, and then Ephesians 2.20 says that uh, we're, the foundation is what the prophets and the apostles did. They built the foundation. And Ephesians 2.19 talks about Jesus being the chief cornerstone. So we're talking about a building project again. We're that's, what, that's what this is all about, a building project, but not in it with a temple made by hands, but in you 
and in me. And so this is what we're driving for. 1 Peter 2.5 says, You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So you got the foundation the apostles and prophets laid. Jesus, the chief cornerstone, and then you and I as living stones. And I brought my stone. It's a pretty good-sized stone, isn't it? And uh, um, you ever hear, uh, I mean, think about a stone. How can you tell if a stone is living or it's not living? Well, you know a stone is not really living, but God puts life into our hearts of stone, right? And it changes, it changes us. And um, the idea of a living stone, you ever hear of a living document? For you folks that get into teams or whatever, um, you, can, we, you can build a, write a document out and share it. And I, on Friday, I shared a document with like 12 different people. And anybody can go in and edit it and update it. And that's what happens. If you, a living document is something that can be changed continually. And that's how you and I live as living stones. We're changed continually. Um, God has selected us. He set us aside. This is, this is the stone that I'm going to use. He selected us, set us aside, put a deposit of the Holy Spirit in us. But we're in need of refinement. There's a lot of edges, right? Look at this. It's got to be smoothed out. When, when David chose five stones to use, they were smooth, right? You and I are going through the smoothing process. And you know that sometimes it hurts. We're under construction. We chip, God chips a little here, chips a little there. And then we get to a place where it talks about Ephesians 4.16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And stones are unique. My, my wife's got an uncle who is, he, um, his whole life business is about stones. And if you go to Lake Placid and you see a lot of the nice buildings with the stone fronts, that's Mike's work. A lot of, a lot of work that he did in Lake is in Lake Placid and all around the Adirondacks. Building with stones is different than bricks, right? Bricks, any old brick can go any old where. You got a pile, whole pile of bricks, you just pick the next one on, uh, and you lay them in there. Stones, they're placed, right? You have to find the right stone for the right place. And that's what God is doing. He's fitly joining us together, compacting by which every joint supplieth. So bricks don't matter, but stones, that's a different thing. It's got a place for you. It's got a place for me. And a, you ever see the front of a, a stone building that's done nice? Isn't it beautiful? A stone, some, a stone face. That's what God is doing. He's taking you and me and refining us, chiseling a little bit here, a little bit there, and he's setting us in place. And I think about Jess's quote. Jess Hurlbutt put a quote. Anybody see her Facebook quote this week? Said something like, it always... It will always look worse before it gets better. And she said, trust the process. 
So I want to just end today. I'm not going to go too much further. Actually, this is, I'm going to cut my time from 59 minutes all the way down to quite a bit. But I'm going to end with telling you a little story about when I was a kid and I went to the dentist. How many, how many kids like the dentist? Not very many. We used to have a treasure chest where you could go in and get a prize afterwards. It was hardly worth it, what, what you go through. So I go to the, I go to the dentist. Um, I was there a lot. <laughs> and um, one time, I don't know how old I was, if I was seven or nine or 19, I don't know. But I ran out of the, I ran out of the dentist chair. I was sitting there, he was coming at me with a drill. You know those, when they drill and you get the smell of burnt flesh, it's really, again, I'm like the music, I'm bringing you back to a place. So I'm in this chair and I'm going like, hmm, I'm not ready for this, you know? And I took off and I ran out of, ran out of that. You know, there's a fine line between courage and stupidity, right? You understand that, right? I, I, elected to say, this is stupid. There's nothing courageous about this. So I bolted right out into the street. I remember it. But when you don't understand the big picture, that's what you'll do, right? You'll take yourself right out of the dentist chair. You know that, we know that you need to go through it. You gotta let them drill so they can fill, so your teeth last a lot longer. So I'm saying today, if you've run out, get back in the chair. I had to, I had to go. I remember the, the walk of shame back to the, to the dentist chair and did what I had to do. If you run out, get back in the chair. Allow God to do things, what he's doing. Don't fight it. Surrender. Surrender to him. You're a living stone can't even lift this with my two hands. I should have got up. You're a living stone becoming fit for the master's use. A dwelling place for God. Think about that. Each and every one of us, God's inhabiting. He's living inside of us. What a responsibility. What a responsibility. Think about it. I'm, I'm just going to give you three points that um, really what would be suitable? What would be appropriate? What would be fitting for God's temple to look like, to act like? These are some things that God chisels on me about or has in the past. Some areas where he smooths me out. Maybe this will help you. Some of you will think differently, but I bet you'll, this, you'll, you'll agree with some of this. One of them is be where you're supposed to be. Be where you're supposed to be. If it's time for church, maybe the golf course is not the right right place. I understand every now and then. I mean, last weekend they had iron sharpens iron, and I didn't go to it. And I had a frustrating Saturday. And I think I probably should have been there looking back. You know, again, bricks can go wherever they want but a stone has to be in its place. A stone has to be where it's supposed to be, whether it's church, whether you're going to serve for VBS or in kids' church. If you're supposed to be at home, be at home. Don't be out wandering somewhere. 
If you're supposed to be at work, that's where we need to be, right? I've heard people say before, I can't work because I'm depressed. And I think maybe sometimes we're depressed because we don't work. It's a little different twist, isn't it? I remember a lady that worked at Seacom, I don't know, 18 years ago or so, she came to work and she looked just terrible. She was in distress every time I saw her. And over time, as she worked there, as she worked there, she looked better and better and more vibrant and stronger and happier. Work is good for us, right? I don't know why I'm saying this right now, but because um, a lot of times we're not, we, we try to avoid that which is uncomfortable, but God wants us to be where we're supposed to be. Remember, Jonah was in the wrong place. And he made the statement, he says, I know that this great tempest is because of me. And he's basically saying, I shouldn't have been here. I know that I need to be in places at certain times, and it's important. So that's the first one. The second one is tongue control. James says, the tongue sets on fire the very course of nature. And it also says, if you're able to control your tongue, you're able to bridle your whole body. Psalm 30, 39.1 says, the psalmist says, I, I keep my tongue from sin. I put a muzzle on my mouth. And that's hard sometimes when things get under pressure and, you're, and you just want to defend yourself or whatever. <clears throat> Most of the time, don't, don't defend yourself. Just let God do that. Let the Holy Spirit. And just muzzle. Just don't talk. Remember Jesus said, or the Bible says, Jesus opened not his mouth. Pilate questioned me, he didn't even say a word. Don't you think he could have said something? Sometimes we just have to hold our tongue. Number three, the third one, don't force things. Wait. Be patient. James again says, let patience have its perfect work that you might be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Patience is very important. I forfeited a lot of blessings by making things happen. I can do that. I can make a phone call like Charity said last week. I can do things to, to get things moving a little bit, right? But patience, this idea of just waiting, this is how, these are things, ways that a temple, somebody carrying the presence of God should conduct their lives. And it benefits as, as us as well. The Bible says the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow. When we're functioning as God wants us to, to function, then we're at peace. We have rest. Amen? So I think today, and I'm going to finish with this, I think we have three groups of people here. I think we have Stones that are not living. Stones that are living. And I think we have stones that are alive, but have ran out of the chair. And so I want to give folks an opportunity. I don't know how this is going to look, Justin. Maybe you can help out. I want, you, I want to give you an opportunity this morning. We're short, so we're early. If you are in two of those three categories. If you're a living stone, maybe you want to come up and pray for those that are not living stones, not alive. You know, you know if you're alive in Christ, the deposit of the Holy Spirit has been made inside of you and it's clear. Um, Jesus said, I write these things that you might know that you have eternal life. 
you know if you're alive and you probably aren't, if you're not sure, then that means you're probably not where you need to be. So if you're not, if you're not a living stone, if you need to be made alive, become a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit, I want you to come forward, come forward too. And if you're a living stone, but you've run out of the chair, you said, I don't want to go through this anymore. I want to give you an opportunity to come back forth and get back in the dentist chair. Even me as a seven-year-old kid, I knew I had to go back there. And I think we all know it. As Christians, we get it. We understand when God is drawing us back. And maybe that's this morning for you. So let me give you a moment. And I'm going to have you come forward. And I want you to be strong and do it, right? Build this house. Let God have his way. And I'm going to give you the end result. As you come forward, come on, if you'd stand with me. And anybody who is a living stone that wants to get back in the chair, or if you're not living, come on up right now. Make your way up. Be strong and do it. Don't, don't, be, don't, don't lack courage right now, but come. And I'm going to end up with this scripture out of Revelation. This is the end result of the whole thing. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. This is the final result. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be their God. And, he, and they will be with them, and he will be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, Sally. He'll wipe away every tear, right? There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. This is the finished product. This is the house. Where is the house you and I will build for him? So I'm going to give you one more chance. Come forward. If you're, if there's a little bit of flutter inside and you're like, I'm not sure. I think this is, make use of this. Come forward and we're going to pray for you that you would become a living stone. And we're going to pray for you that you have strength to be able to get back in the chair. And let God do have his perfect work in you and become worshipers. Become a dwelling place for God. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.